1: Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel.
0: Shachtan, an Indo-Askeliger.
1: Time in Mon Eroti, a end of Chacht, a harp, Agus Suligam, a Markanshaw, Gurfader, a hir, a nuik, kart, len of winter
2: this is me. first time nach
0: vetok
2: ara to, to do this.
1: This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing.
0: Well, it certainly delivered on the hype. After all the build-up, Ireland and South Africa produced a World Cup classic on Saturday night. And although Andy Farrell's men came out on the right side of the result, there is still a long, long way to go if they want to claim the ultimate prize in Paris next month. Still, we have plenty to talk about on today's episode of the left wing. Will Slattery here, and I'm delighted to be joined once again Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley and thanks again for everyone who reached out on Twitter at YouTube and Spotify we really appreciate all your comments even all the ones that came from South African supporters but now let's look back on what was a very dramatic game probably the most dramatic game any of us have ever experienced and Jonathan I'll go to you first like I posed a question last Tuesday you know if we were sitting here in a week's time like what would an Ireland victory look like in your opinion like now that we are here that, that did come to pass how did the reality match up with what we were kind of kicking around last week?
1: Yeah, well, beyond the fact that I said Ireland would win by five, have to get that in um, early doors. (laughs) But um, it didn't look like the way that I think any of us thought that it would because one of the prerequisites that we talked about was getting the set piece right. Ireland didn't do that. One of the things that we talked about was almost viewing this game as like one of, if not the best attack in the world against the best defense in the world. But so much of what Ireland did and did well was actually without the ball, like especially in those first uh, twenty minutes. Like you were watching that thinking, this could get properly, properly hairy. But to be fair to Ireland, and I think you have to give them the no G for this, they stuck at it and they defended brilliantly. Like against this team that we talk about is having this vaunted defense, the more impactful and the more I suppose eye-catching defense was actually from Ireland.
0: Mm. Luke, in terms of I was- headline why did ireland win this game like what are you writing
1: oh.
2: um i don't i actually don't think it's possible to answer it in the headline will i think um you know it probably it's an oversimplification of it you know there's there's a huge amount of factors went into this we we probably went through a good few of them like i think south africa squad selection pre-tournament um you know some of it forced by injury but some of it just decision making around personnel um you know, that really undid them, um, you know, around, I think, options off the bench. You know, obviously the injury to, to Marks is a killer, but, uh, you know, not having a third hooker is a big mistake. Um, you know, no goal kicker um, in the squad. No, no really, someone who doesn't kick regularly for their club uh, week in, week out, or has kicked for the South African team, you know, um, on occasion before this, like, with the high percentage uh, return. Like, those two things really came back to haunt them. Um, you know, I think, um, I, I, I thought the defense was actually the kind of key part, you know. And it was funny because there's been a lot of stats thrown around this week, Will, about, you know, uh, all the collisions, all the the, the impacts, um, kind of collisions that, that South Africa had. And, and they had a huge number of dominant tackles. I think it was 30 was thrown out. Um, but I think Jonathan's exactly right. And I talked about it last week. Very hard to win collisions with these guys one on one all the time consistently. Just big, big men. But what you have to do is the collisions have to happen in places um, before the gain line, and that's really key. That's a key point that I think was lost in all the chat because people were kind of figuring out, well, you know, this is the highest ever amount of impact tackles we've seen uh, or collisions. You know, how did Ireland win this thing? And they're kind of just saying it's great. Well, no, not really. I think Ireland were really, really smart about you know how they committed to breakdowns. They thought they timed that really well. You know, sometimes they, they went in with one fetcher. You know, sometimes they, they fanned out. Other times, uh, you know, they committed three or four bodies when the timing was right. They did that brilliantly too. So I thought the rook was was, was another key component of the, the defense, uh, of the defensive effort. Uh, but I thought they got off the line and hit them earlier, um, which is very, very important, I think. And they had a lot of chop tackles. So um, they were they were kind of key things. Like, uh, and, and it's funny, like a lot of the chat has been, oh, like geez, we worried about seeing South Africa again in the competition. I think they'd be worried about seeing us too. Like we turned down a lot of, you know, kind of goal kicking opportunities as well for lineouts that didn't go our way. Uh, and either way you look at that, I don't think Ireland would will, will uh, Ireland's line out will be as bad again. Or I think they if they take the points, you know, the, the complexion of the game might have been very different as well. So um all the chat has been about South Africa knocking. I think that was a, a brilliant contest between two teams that is very, very uh it's it's very tight between both sides. Um and I think um, it would be like, I, I don't think either side would be unbelievably pleased about seeing the other uh, if, it, if it comes to pass later in the competition, um, which is something that I don't even know why we're talking about. I feel like we're really getting ahead of ourselves. I know we're going
0: to cover that in a question. You're the one who on. brought it up. Like, I didn't say it.
2: No, no, no sorry. I, <laughs> I, but I'm talking about us as a country. Well, like, sorry, I didn't mean it just in, in here. Kind of a wider context. It's something that I was concerned about. I tweeted about it after kind of, you know, the interview straight after the match with Bundy Aki. I was kind of going, you know, maybe we'll see them. He he, kind of mentioned in passing. Oh, we'll probably see them again later on. I was like, oh, please! Like all I could do is think about World Cup 2015. People crying coming off the pitch. My roommate at the time, which I which I ate alive in the in the uh, in, in the room after. For it, um, just thinking, God, like you know, it's imagine you're in New Zealand looking at that. Uh, and we look, we do expect you know a, a result next week. it will be a surprise, in fairness, based on all the previous history. If Scotland were to turn us over, but it's not beyond the realms, um, you know, if you're in New Zealand, either way, you're looking at this thinking, oh, these lads think it's over and done. you know they've they've won a group match and on the
0: way to the final they go. So, yeah, it's that was a little bit concerning too. Yeah, to be fair, that that comment aside, I actually thought the players were like John, listen to Johnny Sexton afterwards and Gary Ringo. I thought they were pretty measured actually. Like I don't I don't think anyone else was really too buoyant, or, or, or in, certainly in their TV interviews afterwards. But yeah, I, I take your point, Re really looking ahead too much. Jonathan. You new touch on it there, like, the, the, you know, the idea that Ireland set-piece would have to be, like, really, really accurate to win this game. And, like, watching it back again this morning is actually nice. Like, you know, two days later, or three days, whatever, when the drama, the result, you know it's coming. But, like, Ireland in that first half, or even in the first 20 minutes, they lost two 5-meter line-outs, one 10-meters out, one on the 22. Caelan Doris also knocked the ball on on the line. There was like another turnover penalty in the 22. And then just on halftime, they knocked the ball on the 22 again. Like that, that's, a, that's an outrageous amount of, I suppose, prolificacy considering Ireland are usually so efficient. So I take the point in the second half, South Africa did get on top. They missed four kicks. They had a couple of balls. They dropped two. But like there was a sense after the game that if they had kicked their kicks South Africa, it was game over. Whereas if you actually go over the full 80 minutes, which is what you have to do, Ireland left so much opportunities out there, which gives kind of room for growth but also concerned that the line-out, I don't think I've ever seen a line-out from an, an Ireland team in a big match malfunction quite as badly as that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have to look at this and say, if we had been sitting here last week and been told Ireland are going to lose 6 lineouts, you would have thought that was the game. And I do take your point of what you're saying about, I suppose, the post-match narrative becoming, oh, but South Africa can get so much better. And I suppose ignoring the fact that you know, Ireland have this room for growth as well. And I think what Luke says is interesting because I was thinking this during the game, but I didn't really see it talked about an awful lot after the game. Obviously, because Ireland won. Like, when the line-out was going as badly as it was, I don't know why they didn't take their points more and build a score that way because the line-out clearly couldn't be relied upon. And I think if Ireland had lost the game, then that's probably a conversation that we're having a lot more of. But I would say the, I suppose, the overarching reason for what you're saying is the fact that, We are actually worried that Ireland's line out isn't going to get better. Like, statistically, they're not going to lose that that high percentage again. But the line out is an ongoing problem that Ireland have had now through the summer and through this World Cup beyond the Tonga game. Whereas, if you're looking at South Africa, like, we can talk about the selection hubris and Razi Erasmus, but like, I can't actually ever remember a test match of this magnitude essentially decided so decisively by things that we spent all week talking about. Like, you talk about the missed kicks, but even the, like the hooker situation is madness. Like, as good a player as he is, you spend 60 minutes trying to tire Ireland out in the scrum. And then in the final quarter of the game, you've got a back rower scrummaging at hooker at international level against the number one side in the world and how does it go? You give away a free kick that relieves the pressure on Ireland that's just too easy and out and then you give away a penalty that Jack Crowley then knocks over for three points in a game when there only were 21 points combined like that on top of not having a front line goal kicker like the point swing in that is unbelievable and it's like I'm saying I can't remember any game like this where it was just the pre-match narrative became so blindingly obvious over the course of the game that to me there's absolutely no way that South Africa ever go into a game like that again and you can make the argument that oh maybe Razzie's being canny and uh, he knew this wasn't a must win but I think that's where it comes from the idea that there's absolutely no way that if there is a repeat of this game that South Africa go in constituted in the way that they were for this game whereas against what for my money and most people's money is the best defensive line-out in the world, there is a real possibility that Ireland have struggles in the set-piece in another game, as much as I think Sheehan is a better thrower than Kelleher. So I think him coming in would offer some improvement there, but it's been such a long-running thing now through the summer and through this World Cup that we have to have fears about systemic issues in the Irish line-out. Yeah, to be fair,
0: when Dan Sheen came in, I don't think Ireland lost a line, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, you mentioned Dion Ferreira and his scrummaging. He also threw a crooked throw on the five-meter line, which, to be fair, they actually peeled away and Ireland got them just over into touch anyway, but it's, it was still given as a, as a, as a crooked throw. And, and, Luke, the kicking point is interesting with South Africa because, you know, it has been said a lot. If they kick their points, they win the game or, or some variation of that. But for me, I think that's a very simplistic way, considering, like, the big flashing warning sign about this team was their flakiness off the tee. They consistently went for kicks, even to very low percentage runs in the halfway line, one of which very fortuitously actually ended up being a try for them. So that is what this team is, the way it's currently constituted. So the idea that it came to pass and it did bite them in the arse, I'm not going to kind of give them a pass and say, oh, well, they basically won the game without the kicks. Because it's like, that's not the case, really. Like, they knew the kicking was, was poor. They insisted on kicking, you know, a lot of kicks and missing them. Now, Pollard could come back in, as Rosie Erasmus said, like, he might be able to goal kick, but he's played 40 minutes of rugby in six months. He has to pass, he has to tackle, he has to tactically kick, he has to run the game. Like, we don't know how fit he is either. So that could have come back to bite them again later in the tournament as well. It's just, I found the whole thing from a South African per- perspective, I was a South African supporter today, very perplex- perplexing in terms of the decision-making Razi, Jack Nienaber, the coaching staff have made it. I think that would be my big takeaway if I was a South African supporter
2: look, Will, I I get the point. You know, I just I probably just I don't know if I subscribe to, to Rassi Erasmus being some kind of coaching messiah as of yet. Like brilliant performance in the in the twenty nineteen World Cup to you know to get that team that had been struggling to turn things around at the World Cup. Like fantastic performance there. But Leiden, I mean, was he unbelievable at Munster? Oh, I don't know. Was he? I'm not sure. Um, you know, and I just think some of the selection decisions around um you know this south african team pre tournament like he's got an unbelievable amount of resources in south africa in terms of the, of the players that he's got um you're always going to be competing at the top level with them you just always are um so uh, i don't know i'm still i'm still out on believing everyone else's hype about about Erasmus. rasmus and i just think You know, you you talk about the bench split. That just seems like a crazy risk to me to be taken with a team that's so good. You don't need to take that risk. You're still going to have an advantage with the guys that you bring off the bench if it's five or six. Just give yourself at least two backs that you can have a little bit of optionality in the backs. You saw the impact that, you know, Robbie Henshaw had. You saw the impact that Connor Murray had on the pitch. Even Crowley, I thought, was excellent when he came on under massive pressure. So I I just feel like that was a big mistake to only have one back on the pitch as well or sorry, on his bench. Um, the kicking thing, you know, pre-tournament, huge risk for a team that, like we talked, Jonathan just spoke in, in his previous answer about everything we talked about coming up are uh, being an issue in the game, actually having an impact. And it's rare enough that that happens. But I think that nearly is always going to happen with South Africa because I don't think the game plan changes massively. If you know what I mean, so it's going to be the same talking points. How did you deal with that, that, that? You know, it's it's the same thing all the time with South Africa, which to my mind makes it even more baffling that you wouldn't have a kicker, particularly if you're relying on your your front ten to really get you over, and then to have a few fantastic finishes, you know, from your outside backs combined with a really you know strong defense. Um, that's what you're going to get with South Africa, and it's very, very hard to play against. But to not have a kicker to capitalize on the pressure that you're putting on teams, um, and even, even the decision making with the, with, the, with the lights in the, in the in the box, taking it away from the players in the pitch, they can feel the pulse, they can feel what the other scrum is, you know, feels. like, they can feel the other pack wilting. You can feel a guy when you tackle him, knowing you got a good shot that he's going to be, you know, not himself for a couple of plays after. All these things are very hard. You you can't really get a sense in the coaching box, and. Um, and to 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 sorry allied with the fact that he didn't pick a goal kicker for them in the box we put in that yellow light up or whatever the whatever they're doing to say uh, go for goal having made the decision knowing that you don't have a really you know a 90% goal kicker that to
0: my mind was a massive massive error and um, should have been going to the corner kind well, of kick- well, that's a good point lou like so those two two yellow light flashes on the 50 meter line with no established goal kicker like can someone not be like f off i'm putting this in the corner we we are like we have a massive pack we're going to exert the pressure you saw in the end game when they finally kind of took those options when they had to when they were more than three points or you know whatever a point or two behind and that was
2: very close to that last decision I mean like I actually thought it was the right decision given that it collapsed there was a moment where it was kind of stuck in there really difficult for the ref I actually thought he got a lot of stick for that one but it was a real touch and go and, and in
0: fairness there was a split second in it
2: it was a split second in it. I actually felt that he got a little bit of criticism for that one when really, I don't think it was actually deserved. If you look at it with just, and honestly, it's hard for us not to be biased, but I really think at the time I thought, no, seriously, at the time I said, oh, that, he's going to get, he's going to get in the neck from some South African supporters for that one. But really, I, I do think that was actually the right call. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think, you know, Yeah, I think they have a bit to answer for at this stage. I think they'll naturally now, because of this, I, I think, look, all these things that we've been talking about probably get corrected pretty quickly, Will. I feel like the next injury is definitely going to be, no matter what position it is, is probably going to be a hooker coming in. Um, and then I think all of a sudden the balance of the squad is, is kind of back to what it should be. We'll be. That that'll be my opinion. I think this is a brilliant game for South Africa. They, you know, It was a tight one, so it means that Scotland have to put up you know, an absolute cricket score next weekend and have to beat Ireland by a lot. For um, you know, from for, for you know, it, or for from sorry, there's a weird kind of set of circumstances that have to happen for them to get knocked out, is what I'm saying. But they're still they're in a very very good position to to qualify through. Yes, so I, I think they're going to get away with it. I think the the decisions that they made around the squad will get, were, were, you know, as we said, uh, were were glaring. The mistakes they made, I think they rectify them, and they'll be in a good position because I do think they go through to qualify. You know, obviously, pretty much distorted that they'll qualify. You
0: know. I did find it funny, you know, how magnanimous they were in their words after the game. Ireland were a better team, much better team. I don't, they don't believe that for a second. It was the most empty platitudes I thought I've ever heard. Now, they're fair, they, they put on a brave face. They, they sounded good. But I know deep down they, they definitely fancy Ireland again if they play them. And like they are still like massive live option to, to win this tournament uh, for sure. John, the one thing I want to ask you about is uh, the Ireland mentality or, or the mental strength they showed at, at certain periods of the game. In particular, I remember. It was actually only three 0 to South Africa at this stage. It was just after James Lowe ripped the ball and unluckily went over the line, and they got another bite of the cherry to scrum. And I thought the Ireland forwards looked a little deflated. It looked like you know they they'd missed four lineouts in a row in the twenty two at that stage. South Africa looked like they were on the verge of scoring a try, but then all of a sudden you know Creel's offload goes loose, Ireland get a turnover, kick down field. That was a massive moment for me, and they kind of grew back into the game. But how impressed were you with? That's the way they kind of stuck at it because there there were times in the game when South Africa really looked like to be getting in the ascendancy and they were always able to come up with a key turnover or kick a key penalty just to keep
1: themselves in the fight. I think it was the key to the game. Like, I think it's a massively, massively important part of what Ireland have brought to this World Cup preparation because if you look at Irish teams down the years or maybe even just an awful lot of teams at this level, like, there aren't that many, I think, that could have um rolled with the punches as well as they did in that opening quarter against a side as good as South Africa without taking a bigger blow. Like to come out of that period just 3-0 down was a massive, massive win for Ireland. But it is a testament to the way they approached it, their mental fortitude to get through that period. Because, you know, we talk an awful lot about how Ireland haven't faced an awful lot of adversity at this World Cup. You know, they the fixtures, the way that they fell for them, they sort of eased into it against Romania and Tonga. Um and obviously the injuries is just a massive part of uh, john Johnny, can we add to that as
2: well? as well? So do you know the two bits as well? Like if we talk, we'll touch on it earlier on. Like even so Fafta Clerk's kick that hits the post, they get the ball back in a good position. But do you remember even in the first half, there was that crazy bounce back? Do you remember from the from the loose kick? So Arlen yeah. turned the ball it bounced over. At Ren- at yeah. And they almost scored a drive a, that Someone kicked it. Do you remember exactly? And Lowe and do you know what I actually thought? So Lowe could have got an awful lot of stick for that. I thought it was unbelievably clever because I think was it was a Colby or Renzo? I'm not sure who got the Arenda. ball back. Was it Orenza? Definitely, yeah. Um Do you remember he kind of jumped for it? And the temptation would have been, oh, I've kind of slipped here and to hit him in the air. He pulled away and in fairness to Gary Ringrose made an unbelievable cover tackle uh, and we got ourselves back into the game. But that was a real stroke of bad luck too. Like that really should have been a kick, you know, in a normal situation where you don't get a bad bounce. And And they they got three points out of that. So like
0: their eight points, their first eight points came from very fortuitous moments uh, that's what I think and too and it's a horrible moment too.
1: for Lou as well because you can see after he does pull out he's then on the back foot so it almost looks like Arenzi just runs through him so like for, you know, for a player that um, had an awful lot of criticism about his defensive work earlier in his Ireland career like probably should have sure almost... made the tackle there in fairness <laughs> but, <laughs> well. but no I agree with you sorry once he's slipped
2: it's unbelievably yeah. awkward and he has no power the other guy's coming on to it but I just thought that was a moment where he didn't like, we didn't panic you know what I mean? Because he would have known when he kind of half pulled out of that when he was like, "Oh, uh, I'm under pressure." You know that it's hard to. We all probably. I don't know if we all played, but I, you know, in those circumstances, you're doing that. You go, mm, "If I pull out of this, even at, you know five or six percent, there's a good chance of not making this tackle against an international rugby player." To do that and have the confidence not to do it, I thought was ah uh, like the, the, the no panic and the grit to get back in just. Brilliant, I thought. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I just thought I'd mention it while you're in the answer, you know?
1: It, it, no, like, fun. absolutely. And then I think, you know, to survive the idea that their line-out has essentially abandoned them, like, they didn't have a line-out in that game. So, to be able to survive through that period, just through another line, but even later in the game, you know, an awful lot of the week has been spent talking about how South Africa have the edge in the bench, South Africa have this powerful bench. Sort of gets lost in the shuffle, a wee bit, but that South Africa were, were winning when the replacements came on. So this area of the game that was, you know, we talked about South Africa as front runners. South Africa were a point ahead whenever they unloaded their bench. And the Irish bench was unbelievable. Like Henderson made such a big impact. Sheehan made a really big impact. Baird had some massive, massive moments, especially in terms of line-out defense. He was huge. And then like Crowley, like we all would have expected Sexton really to be playing for as long as that game hung in the balance, but Carly comes on. I thought again, he looked very composed given the occasion, and obviously st- knocked over the penalty. Now, obviously, any international should have been knocking over the penalty from there. But I
0: thought he not Manny LeBoc. A, I wouldn't say it's a give me for Lebok to be fair. Uh, that was that like, was the boot for
1: the, it's, it's, <laughs> kicked from the sideline to uh, in the eighty fifth minute to. Uh, when know what that was Jonathan so it was the two-footer
2: to win the Ryder Cup wasn't it you're like oh yeah. like there's literally only downside to stepping over this thing
1: <laughs> no matter yeah, exactly. what you know well, so I, like, I there was actually a, a replay that the
0: showed that conversion might have been wide actually in that three <laughs> final I was, I was like the JFK's a film going through that being like I think that's actually wide but here yeah, we won't go <laughs> um, but it's funny you mentioned Jack Crowley like and as we were going through it there how, how so many of the games big moments were actually down to like a bounce of a ball like South Africa's two scores like the drop goal at the end like that Willemsa could have fielded but didn't realize it had been touched that was bounced in front of him you could see mm-hmm. the look in his face that was the, that was almost the winning of the game for Ireland because they got the penalty at the next scrum and it's funny Jack Carley in the pocket at first I thought he just duffed it as a guy he was never going to get two in a row but then you saw Smith to be very got a big hand on it but yeah it's funny how a lot of those the big moments of the game actually came down to bounces of balls it shows how little there is between the teams because both teams Jonathan can sit here today and point to a litany of missed chances but I I think ultimately, I don't know, did Ireland deserve to win? I'm not sure all over the course of the game, but I wouldn't either say so. Africa definitely deserved it either. There's so little between the teams, isn't there?
1: Yeah, like if you look at all those moments, and that's why like even obviously working on the game up against a tight deadline, like it was so engrossing because there were all those little moments and they all felt really, really consequential. Like there was no lull of um, watching a five-minute, 10-minute minute period of the game where you were thinking this isn't going to have a big impact on the results. But I think coming out of it, like what you're saying there, Will, is a hugely interesting part of the whole discussion around this game. Because, you know, you're talking about South Africa and their platitudes of, oh, Ireland were the better team. Like, I think that's one of those rare games at this level of rugby where I think both of those teams came away thinking that they were the better team and genuinely confident that they would win in a rematch. But everything that we're talking just indicates just how close the game was how little there is between the two teams and how on a different night whether you get a different bounce of the ball or South Africa make better decisions or the Irish line-out works better like all of those things could potentially be the winning of a rematch but we're sat here you know more than just about a month away from a final and if these two teams were to meet again both of them still think they're the better team even though they've already played
0: yeah, I think both teams come away with it with loads of areas they're going to look at and potentially learn from and grow into. And it's a long tournament. Like, it's funny, we've been building up to this game for so long, years, that it almost felt like the culmination of something when in reality it's literally the beginning. It's the first <laughs> big test of if Ireland want to win a World Cup of five matches. It's actually like the opening stanza of what will be a very lengthy five-week slog Whereas. It was just such an outpouring. Like, there were so many supporters over there. Like I'm sure all of you know people who were over there. I knew a million people who were over there, and they've been planning this for years. But it's literally just to start now. It, it Actually, this is when it starts getting serious. So,
1: like, And it's not going to stop either, because we're getting pretty much guess the quarterfinals now, and they're not for another three weeks. So like we're going to yeah. have an awful lot of this sort of narrative building up to the knockout games, because the rest of the pool stages, there's not an awful lot of drama left in them.
0: Yeah, Luke, is there any danger of Ireland over celebrating this game you referred to it earlier like you know taking too much from it you know I saw a few comments we actually got a few on the YouTube from some South African fans like oh how much it meant to Ireland to beat South Africa like you know as if it was over the top and potentially just like treating it as if it was as I said they had a culmination of something rather than the start of something any danger of that?
2: Um, yeah I think there is Um, uh, you know I was a bit I was really concerned like I had a, it had a lot of a lot of similar feelings. Well, because I was look I wasn't as involved in some of those games that were a cup in twenty fifteen. Um because I was on the bench, you know, so it's kind of a different situation to to you can be a little bit more cold and calculated when you're on the bench. Now I came on at the end of the game, didn't see some of the histrionics, but um, you know, I think um saw a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of the jumping at the end. I just wish we hadn't, you know, just I like I know it was a big moment, like, and you might have it was a big moment. We've been building up to it for a long time. To have a two-week break, which is probably the, the only thing that gives me a little bit of comfort is that there's a bit of a lull after this. I still think there's going to be images of, of uh, you know, if you're a Scotland, they're definitely going to be playing the Bundy Aki interview after the game. They're definitely going to play, you know, Connor Murray jumping up onto someone, you know, all the Irish players singing with hands raised on the pitch. You know, it's it's um, it's... I completely get it. I know it's so hard not to get caught up in a big win. Um, I do think, the, the one caveat I would say is Ireland have the weak break, which I think gives them a really nice opportunity just to reset, not think about rugby, and they can come back in and refocus. Um, and I think they'll be fine, but I just think Scotland have a lot of ammunition and they'll be fine too. And they absolutely, like it's do or die for them, um, you know, having lost to South Africa. So they know that they pretty much got to get a bonus point win against Ireland to get through. Um, bloody difficult task for them. You know, recent history or not even not so recent history would would, would tell you that they they probably won't be able to do it. Zero chance. Have too much. <laughs> there is zero chance of Scotland um, beating Ireland. I, I a, yeah, look, I think it's a big challenge for them, but it's not it's not beyond them. They're playing well. Um stranger things, put it this way, stranger things have happened in rugby. Um and it's nice when you have the shackles off. So we talk about decision making um you know and you know the South African team in the box, putting up the yellow light, like there's only one thing that Scotland can do, that is, so like after 30 minutes, you know they they might kick their goals for the first 30 minutes, but if the game is tight, and um, you know they have got to go for tries all the way through, so they will be going to the corner, you know, there, there's, I, I, it simplifies things for you, and if and if if you have a great day, if you have a food, like they'll have moves now for weeks because they know they're going to pump, um, you know, Romania. They'll have loads of trick plays. They'll have seen lots of things of Ireland over the over the, the couple of weeks. Um, they'll have dissected us to within an, you know an, an inch of our lives. And and I just feel like there is a little bit of danger here that we get a little bit too over optimistic and, and and overlook them. And I do think it's actually very important that we we put in a big performance there to get the confidence going into what we all expect is a quarter final of the World Cup against like really really challenging opposition. Who in if you think about their run in. All they are going to be thinking about is probably Ireland at this stage. That's all they're going to be thinking about. And you think about who's in that camp? Joe Schmidt, uh, you know, missed, you know the, the the one guy who can pick apart defenses like no one else from set plays. Um, all the attacking prowess they have all over the pitch. Our our history against them. Our history at this stage of the competition. That is the worry. And I just want everyone to come back. I, I was really hoping that a lot a lot of that that stuff that we saw would have happened in the changing room was probably what I was thinking, Will. And, and that had me a little bit worried. And I just feel like the ammunition is there for Scotland to upset us. And there's loads of time for, for New Zealand to put together a brilliant game plan. And they'll be hurting from last summer too. So lots of things working against us here, Will. A little bit concerning.
0: Yeah, Jonathan, like the point Luke makes about having that week off, it's funny, like we debated so much before the tournament Like what was the optimum schedule. We were comparing ourselves to France and New Zealand having their big clash first. But now that it's come to pass, Ireland have played South Africa and beaten them, I think the week off is the ideal time to get out of the, the bubble, the kind of the, the adulation, the euphoria of beating South Africa and just to be able to reset and go again. I think if Scotland was this weekend, I would be far more concerned about Maybe overlooking them, then getting that kind of few days off back into camp and then having a good like 10 day period to really f- refocus the minds. It, it probably worked out as ideal as you could have wanted.
1: Absolutely. The flip side of the coin is it would have been the worst case scenario if Ireland had lost on Saturday, because then you would have had two weeks sort of building into this last 16 game as it would have been, and you would have been stewing in this real uh, pressure cooker. So that's, I think, why, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were saying that this game really was the key because it sets the roadmap out for Ireland of how far they can go in this tournament and the route to go further in this tournament so I do think it's massive having one on Saturday to have this down week now you know you're going to have a few bumps and bruises but you're probably going to have all 33 players to select no injuries is a miracle isn't it it's insane it's a miracle genuinely like if you look around the other teams in this tournament or even look at past World Cups like you're in a really fortuitous position to get to a World Cup without losing one of your first 15. I understand they lost Healy in the last warm-up, but, you know, that's a bench player. So to get through to the World Cup without losing a player, but then to play three games, like how often do we talk about the physical toll of a World Cup or the physical toll of a Six Nations? Even if you look at Ireland in the last Six Nations, like how many times they had to use the depth of their squad. To be here now three weeks in, having not lost a single player to injury through the three games is... That's why we're all talking about how Andy Farrell couldn't have scripted this any better. You know, they've got a few days off now. They'll come back towards the latter part of this week. Come this weekend after, you know, Scotland, Romania and South Africa, Tonga, Ireland are going to know what they need to do. Most likely scenario is that they're going to need a losing bonus point. Like if you look back at recent results, you know, well, you're saying there's 0% chance of Scotland winning. I don't know what the chance of them winning with five points and denying Ireland a losing bonus point is. But the last time that would have happened in a fixture predates bonus points in the Six Nations. You're going back to 2007, the last time Scotland put a beating like that on Ireland. So one foot in the quarterfinals would probably be the way to put it, I suppose. But the luxury that Farrell now has in approaching this game and being able to approach it in myriad different ways is just... It'll be the envy of every other coach in this competition.
0: I wouldn't be opposed to try to kind of engineering a one point for Adam, five points for Scotland, South Africa gets sent home, kind of result, kind of a, a gentleman's agreement. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe kind of a back a back alley deal potentially. Uh, it would
1: uh, it would come down to what Scotland put on Romania because I think for any of this come to pass, like they're going to need to put near a hundred. So so
2: you've done I was literally just going to say has someone actually worked through the permutations of that yeah because I actually haven't I'm annoyed that I kind of brought up because I actually I I hadn't
1: actually looked at what has to transpire presuming that South Africa beat Tonga with a bonus point that would put them on 15 Scotland would need to get to 15 and then Ireland would need a losing bonus point to get to 15. So at that point it comes down to points difference. But obviously yeah, that's for right, Ireland.
2: Not the actual points for the, from the matches, because I kinda I I'm, I'm on top of that part. It's the it's the points differential within the actual
1: games. Yeah. So if if the three teams uh three teams end up tied, which we're assuming that in this scenario they would do. But for Ireland to get a losing bonus point, then Scotland would need to or if, for Ireland and Scotland to go through with Ireland getting a losing bonus points, Scotland would need to make up the points difference against Romania, which would mean that they would need to um, put over 100 on Romania. So that's why... It's unlikely. You know, yeah. Ass- assuming that South Africa get five against Tonga, then it's very unlikely... But that you're South saying Al- there's a chance. Ireland and Scotland find their way through. Exactly. There's always a chance. There's always a
0: chance. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, in terms of Scotland selection, we got a few comments in. Rob, Connor, Tyga, and Leanne all asking variations of the same question. Any changes for Scotland? Like, not wholesale, obviously you know, would you like to see maybe Dan Sheehan come in? Maybe Conor Murray after his very good performance off the bench. Like, would you be looking at kind of little tweaks, like maybe giving key bench guys a start or would you run it back with the same guys if they're Fit? i run it back. Keep going. Keep going. No, yeah, you been starting like Dan Sheehan? I
2: Think thought was outstanding. I, thought early, I so. thought was outstanding. And I, I, I wish I knew more about line outs, but it did seem to me that the they they didn't really try to change the cadence too much. In Do you know the first three or four line outs that they lost? It looked like South Africa were right up with two guys either. side. like, really difficult conditions. Now, he didn't throw great, but he was brilliant around the pitch. And it sounded like he scrummaged his, his like... That, that, I thought some of the scrummaging... I know they, they were under pressure, but it seemed to me that they were... Once they settled down after the first two, they were they looked like they were pushing earlier, engaged. Uh, or their timing was wrong with the referee or something just looked very nervous about it. I actually thought they worked their socks off and I thought he was excellent. I mean, we all, we all saw that tackle at the start of the game as well. Um, no, I'm, I'm not sure I would yet. Um, I'd probably be minding Sheehan. Like, I, I think Sheehan might have an edge in that in that duel, um, but I wouldn't be riding, riding off uh, Kelleher at this stage. I thought he was brilliant outside of that. And I thought a lot of it might have been possibly brilliant at African defense. They've got big guys and big lifters too, which which makes their lineup pretty formidable. But I didn't th- I think there's a little bit of thinking to do um, around how our, how our line-out was functioning, um, you know and, and the timing. It looked like it was quite easy to time. It looked like they were trying to beat them in the jump rather than actually throwing any dummies or anything like that. Uh, look, I wish I knew more about it Will. I, I really do, but I, I'd be kind of, uh, I'd be thinking I'd be picking the exact same team, and um, look, you could I, I wouldn't have a problem with him tinkering either. All those guys you mentioned had brilliant impacts and played brilliantly. So I get the point, but I I think it's Cup Rugby now. Um and I'll be sticking with the guys who've who who did the job for me
0: personally. Yeah. Jonathan, what do you think they got? I personally would like to see a small freshening up with maybe three changes, Henshaw potentially, Dan Sheehan, Conan onto the bench, maybe. Uh, maybe maybe one other just of, of key personnel because I agree with Luke you know we, we've we been burned before our teams have been burned before with like making changes and they're not going well but I feel like making two or three of, of really top quality international players should maybe not cause any dip in quality
1: yeah for sure like that's something that we used to like praise the All Blacks for you know being able to make one or two changes and having I suppose the impact of those changes negated by the quality all around and I think Ireland are now in a position where they can do that. Like, we've seen, you know, when you make 10 changes, say for those middle-autumn internationals or against Italy, you lose a lot of fluency. But to go with this sort of team that played against Romania, you know, where Mack Hansen wasn't starting and Josh van der Fleur wasn't starting or then against Tonga where Jameson Gibson Park didn't start. Like, I think we could see something like that and the players that I would probably be looking at bringing in or the players that I suppose you're looking to give a rest to would be, you know, Tag Burns played an awful lot of minutes already at this World Cup. Kaelin Doris has had to shoulder a real load, being the only recognized number eight in the absence of Jack Conan and Andy Farrell's decision to bring an extra back rather than a forward. Um, so those are maybe two guys that I could see, you know, do you bring in Conan if he's fit? Do you bring in the likes of an in Henderson, give those guys a break? And then the other interesting one's going to be Bondi Aki because at the minute he's player of the tournament and he's been so important to what Ireland are doing. So is there a temptation to bring in Robbie Henshaw for Aki and you're balancing up whether you're, I suppose, protecting Aki or risking him losing a bit of momentum over the space of what we're no, doing. But Henshaw was brilliant when he came in.
2: on. you got McCluskey yeah, there as well. Like, yeah. We've got an absolute, like, I, I, I think... One, he's been. I completely agree. He's been unbelievable so far. Um, but he's not so important to the Irish game plan that, that Robbie Henshaw is going to be a problem to bring in. Or, or even, I would say, McCluskey. Uh, even though I think there's probably a bigger difference between maybe McCluskey and the other two, McCluskey's still a brilliant player. So, I don't know. I think we, we're really looking strong in that area. Um, your probably issue with that is maybe it looks like, you know, who's your natural... Um, you know, who do you naturally swap out for a ring rose. Uh, who is one of those air, one of those guys in the backs alongside Keenan that you're kind of like? oh, I really wouldn't like to lose them. They're kind of important to me, uh, just in terms of who we brought that naturally plays those positions week in week in week out. The Henshaw Aki partnership has worked very well for Connacht in the past, and every time they play together, it provide like I, don't, I just don't think Aki can play thirteen personally, and and Norcan McCluskey. so. Um, well, I mean, we saw it uh, against Italy, I think, yet. in we the six it nations, against yeah. Italy, you know. So I, I think um, that's your only... You, you might say, oh, maybe I'll keep Henshaw or maybe I'll play Henshaw 13. But tricky, isn't it? Like, they're good... Pro- do you know what? We're in a situation where we've got... They're all good problems, I think, you know. Uh, and I agree with Jonathan. Like, if I was putting my tinkering hat on, you might say something like maybe... Something like Porter, maybe. Um, you know, he's had a lot of minutes. He's pretty important. He's obviously on your bench Anyway. Um, maybe O'Mahony, just age profile and just you know injuries and things. He's very. It would be his hundredth cap, though. You know, I feel like they
0: might want to. He'll get it anyway. Oh yeah, so. but, no,
2: but if he's on the bench, he's definitely getting on anyway. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't see that as being a problem. I, I know it's nice to run out at the start of the game and stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, you got to do what's right for for the player. Like you got to you got to we've got to pick the team like we're we're going for the juggler and that we're 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 we're. we're qualifying that, that's why I, my first answer about this is, is that we don't change but at the same time if you are thinking that you you know, you know want to go further in the competition well is now is it an opportunity to preserve someone and keep them on the bench so you still have the impact Omani would be one of those guys who said like, oh you know Baird was pretty good um, you know maybe, maybe I give him a shot in there too so I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. They're good problems, Ireland have. Yeah,
0: but because if you're looking at it like, and it is kind of, I don't think it's looking forward too much. Realistically, Ireland are going to be big favorites to play Scotland. But if you are looking forward, that it, you could be playing four weeks in a row. Like, is, this is probably the only, this is definitely the only game where you have the, the luxury, Jonathan, I would say, of potentially changing one or two people of your starting team. Because after that, it's New Zealand, A and other in the semifinal and then a behemoth in the final. So this is the only game you might be able to say, oh, will we have Porter on the bench and one or two others, and still maintain, you know, 80% of the team, but get a little bit of rest into some key guys who will have to go the distance
1: if Ireland keep winning. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we've probably rhymed off six or seven changes that you could make. But, like, we're not talking about this like it's the middle autumn international. Like, we're talking about making two of those five or six changes, you know, maybe three at a push, you know, so it's... And the thing, you know, Luke talks about the enviable position that Ireland are in, and he's exactly right, because, you know, you're talking about Henshaw, you're talking about Henderson, you're talking about Conan. Like, you're talking about bringing in British and Irish Lions. You know, we're not talking about weakening the team massively. So, but yeah, what you're saying is 100%, because after this week, it's full go for what you're hoping, three weeks. Like, as much as you don't want anyone talking like they're getting ahead of themselves at the same time that's the goal the goal is to be playing in the finals so there is an element of planning around that of this is what gives us the best chance to achieve our stated goal which is to win the world cup and it's
0: a funny one like at this moment in time like Ireland are in the best position of any team at this world cup like France have an injury to dupont the best player in the world there's uncertainty around his availability South Africa, we've listed out their their out-half issues. They have to play France first and foremost, most likely in the quarterfinal, which is a massive test. Out-half issues, hooker issues, their bench you know questions are still a great team. Ireland, as you said, Jonathan, will have all 33 guys fit and firing, it looks like. They have a week off to refocus after getting a massive victory. And then they can put their foot to the floor. New Zealand are the other big behemoth. They've lost their first game. They're kind of trying to find a bit of form. So... I think every team in the tournament would swap places with Ireland right now, which is a, kind of a good place to be. Also, I don't like saying it because it seems like I'm, I'm putting a
2: familiar place in the a group stage. It seems
0: like. But at the same time, you couldn't have, you know, we said, Jonathan, last week, or Luke, I'll go to you. Like we said last week, like, I couldn't have written a better script coming into South Africa. Coming in, post South Africa, as you said, no injuries, got the victory, you know, great moments, but a lot to work on as well. It feels like it's still really building very nicely.
2: Yeah, and like I think as well, you know, within the group, they'll be really pleased that they got the win. It like it's it speaks, you know, to, hugely to to the mental strength within the squad, but also the quality. Like they had, they had lots of quality moments in that they broke down one of the hardest defenses to break down. Like you know, and I don't think it'll get as hard for them. Maybe France possibly pose the same kind of challenges for you defensively, or you know, from from an offense perspective because their defense is so open your face too. But not not as much as at Africa, I don't think. I thought we dealt with that brilliantly at times, you know. Um, some really nice dummies and, and positioning under massive pressure. And then some great passes. You think of the Gary Ringrose one to Keenan in the first half. That was a beautiful floated pass. Johnny Sexton, a lovely kind of dummy dummy chip into a throw over the top to Hanson. There was some really lovely bits of play. So I agree. Ireland are in a brilliant position from an attack perspective because I think it only gets easier for you as you go forward. Um, I, and I think they'll have plenty to think about. They won't when they look at the video, they'll still say, you know what, well, you know, I think it'll bring them back down to earth. That's why I said earlier on, I think it'll be easy for the team. Like it won't be because Ireland aren't mentally in the right place, because I think the week off is key. Like it's so positioned nicely for them. They've 33 guys on their feet, most likely coming into the Scotland week. Uh, and they they had a brilliant test, which kind of was on a knife edge. So you think while they were really happy about it, had a couple of beers, enjoyed each other's company after um, and then go back to the families to relieve the pressure valve. They'll still come back in and say, mm, "There's a bit to think about here, and we've got to finish this job." So I expect them to perform really well in the Scotland game. I think it's well set up for them to do that. Um, I do think as well, you know, Scotland have there's plenty for them to be fired up about too, which is obviously a concern. But I, I think we should be thinking like we're in pole position. We need to act like it. Um, And, you know, that does require that you give the the respect to to, to all the teams. I think they'll do that. I think Ireland are in a brilliant position. I agree to you directly. And I think all the other teams would love to be where Ireland are. Playing well, coming off a gritty win too. um, And, uh, you know, a week off before you get into, you know, hopefully four weeks of, of massive challenges back to back. So brilliant position. Couldn't ask for any better. So it's all set up for us to go on, and <laughs> I don't even want to say it, but yeah, yeah, it's it's
0: set up well for us. Yeah, one thing actually, I wanted to say to you or mention is because as I said watch the game back just before we came on, and uh, the end game after kicking that last penalty, it was a very frustrating. Like, I don't know. They gave away two really sloppy penalties that gave South Africa a massive field position. It felt like they were just, oh, they they can't take the three points now, therefore I'm just going to go after these two rook balls. Dan Sheehan and Ian Henderson, really sloppy off feet penalties that if they just kept their discipline, South Africa were in their own half, it gave them a massive entry. Ultimately, there was a split second away from losing that game, and those two penalty decisions would have been very, very costly. So I think they actually got to manage the last two minutes a lot better than they did. That's just maybe one thing they could look back on potentially and uh, and. You know, keep your discipline a little bit better. But I want, uh, that's neither here nor there. They won the game anyway. Firstly, I'd just like to apologise to all Australian supporters.
2: A lot of people have travelled here. I'm sure a lot of people have stayed up late at night. And, uh, you know, our performance wasn't up to the standard that uh, is required. And I apologise for that. I take full responsibility for it. Um, and, yeah, we're disappointed. We've got a young team in there who's very disappointed. They, they tried their hearts
1: out. Um, but unfortunately at the moment we just don't have the consistency in our play to put pressure on, on, on teams like Wales. You know, we do some good
2: things and then we fall away. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's very disappointing. Um, Eddie, do you have a second interview lined up with the JRFU? I said I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Can you give Wallabies fans your absolute 100% commitment that you will not be coach of Japan next year? I'm committed to coach Australia. Next year? I'm committed to
1: coach Australia. That all doesn't sound can very say. definitive, Thank Eddie. Thank you. Next question, please. So I'll
0: finish it off as uh, Australia, Jonathan, and Eddie Jones. And like, you know, it was billed as the weekend of the two, you know, marquee clashes, Saturday night, Sunday night, and God, Sunday night got away from them very, very quickly. Even you know, halfway through the first half they had thrown in the tail. It, it looked like and by the end of it 40 points to 6 tells its own story Eddie Jones' future very much up in the air they have one more game against Portugal I think they can technically still qualify but for all intents and purposes they've been eliminated for the first time ever in the group stage like what what, what are your thoughts about the Eddie Jones Australia project and, and how it all kind of unraveled on Sunday night
1: it's the biggest story of the World Cup like not even just us here in Ireland but like Everybody watching the World Cup is watching it through the prism of who are the contenders, who's going to win, and that's understandable. But the first, through this first three weeks, the biggest story in a global rugby context is Australia, because Australia are a world rugby superpower that look nowhere near it. And if you look at how rugby makes its money, it's three World Cups and it's three Lions tours. Australia's hosting both of the next editions of those and they look like a complete and utter rabble at the minute. You know, I'm as guilty as... Great words. <laughs> like, I'm as guilty as anyone of thinking this team was not going to go and contest for this competition, but show progress along the way with this young core that they had. And I know they were unfortunate in that they lost Skelton and they lost Tupou, And those were two massive players who had experience... And they've been left with this real void of experience. But like, you know, to wake up on Saturday morning and to read that um, Eddie Jones has allegedly had an interview with Japan before the World Cup, and then to see his post-match press conferences where, you know, even in the follow-up press conference where he seems to be taking offense that he's being asked about this, like there's some sort of rule that it should be uh, off-limits to ask about a report that he could have shot down on Sunday night he kept talking about how he was committed to Japan, how he was, or, sorry, committed to Australia. <laughs> not <laughs> sure.
2: we're, we're a, that's still to be decided, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so, you know, he's talking about he's committed to Australia, he's committed to Australia, but he stopped short of coming out and saying, one, that he didn't have the job interview. He tells the journalist, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. That's not an answer. Mm. You're asked whether you had the interview or not. And then asked if he's going to coach Japan and he talks around the issue without... Um, without saying that he's not. And, you know, even last week, you know, the things that Drew Mitchell were saying, the things that other former players were saying about Eddie Jones is coming out and saying, oh, I take full responsibility. But what, like, what does that actually mean in actuality in the camp? Like to go into the World Cup, essentially having said, Carter Gordon is our fly half of the future. And then a game and a half into the World Cup, you give up on that. Like it just, the thinking just doesn't seem aligned at all. When the whole narrative around bringing Eddie Jones back was for this golden decade where they were going to restore Australian rugby to what it should be to have the Lions turn, to have the next World Cup. And it's just incredible. Like, it is incredible how bad they've been because despite the results, there were elements of what they were doing in the rugby championship that wasn't that bad that showed evidence of progress. And then they go out and they beat Georgia. And yes, we've seen Georgia now draw with Portugal. So maybe that says more about Georgia than it did about Australia at the time. But... If you had said after the first weekend that Australia were going to be this bad against Fiji and Wales, like I don't think anybody would have believed you. It's a massive, massive story. Yeah, it's actually
0: well put there, as you said. Probably the biggest story, but obviously we've been so wrapped up in, you know, Ireland, South Africa and stuff, we, we probably haven't honed in on it quite as much. But like, look, you know, like, does Jones go after this? Do you think he was given this big contract? As Jonathan said, Lions Tour World Cup it was about boosting the profile, bringing it all together. Is it all going to be unraveled after, what, nine matches, ultimately? Do you think he's gone after this?
2: Oh, yeah, I think they should definitely get rid of him, yeah. Like, I I don't know how he got the job in the first place. I mean, he's not, it's not like he's coming from having done a brilliant job with England. I think he's he's kind of the bit of the rassies about him that he, like, he has this reputation for oh, always brilliant at the World Cups, you know, and, um, you know, all this kind of long-term building. It always suits someone to be talking about long-term building. Like, there are some projects, and this Australian project definitely needs a little bit of that thinking. But at some point, like you have to, you have to produce something, you know. And to uh, all the evidence from what we can see about his tenure at England and now Australia is that he seems like it seems like kind of unstable, you know. Weird mind games with players. You hear loads of weird stories about how he, you know, his man management uh, from from the England days. Even Um, you know, I think uh, he can't keep a coaching staff together. Um, You can't make sense. Similar to some Arassi stuff, you know, it's almost like some kind of dictator-y type things. You know, you're not supposed to question the, you know, the the, the 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 our great leader. You know, our fearless leader. Like, no, like you you have to answer questions like everyone else. And I completely agree with Drew Mitchell's, like, oh, I'm taking responsibility. Taking responsibility is actually answering some questions and giving some insight as to why you were making certain decisions and what the logic was behind it. Particularly if people are finding it hard to understand, like it. Things like this shouldn't be hard to understand. It's not rugby and life generally. You know, when you're looking at decision makers, there are some very difficult th- things out there. But rugby is not one of them. Understanding what you know the decisions were behind leaving certain players and what why the what, what the logic was, it's not hard to explain that Will. And it's actually, I think, uh, if you're if you're running, uh, you know, a, a national organization's rugby, you have a right. Are you sorry? You have a you, sorry we have a right to be asking the questions if we're the supporters, paying good money to see the team, as to, you know, to to at least ask the question and to expect, you know, within reason, an honest answer. Um, And he just doesn't give those. He doesn't think that, he's very entitled to me. He thinks he's, he doesn't have to give any of these answers to any of the people who are paying good money to watch the team and who want the team to do well. Uh, We just have to kind of trust this, like this really long process and oh we're going to be ready for the next World Cup. Like, that's ridiculous. No one can plan that far ahead. You just don't know what situation you're going to be in. Um, you know, so I just think, yeah, no, he's he, to me, he's a busted flush, um, and I think they should get rid of him very quickly. I was amazed he got the job in Australia.
0: It, I found it funny. I was, you know, watching some clips. A friend in Australia forwarded on to me of Michael Hooper was doing the punditry over there. He actually gave a fairly hearty defence of Eddie Jones, like you know, saying no one's working harder, than Eddie. and he was obviously the you know one of the guys who was left at home, one of the really experienced heads, he saying no one's working harder than Eddie Jones. He's you know in bed at, like, 12 o'clock at night, working hard. He's up at 3 a.m., then answering emails, working hard at night. Like, And, like, people... You know, people talk about Dave Rennie as if it was the best coach of all time that they let go. He had a 38% winning percentage. It was the reason he was sacked. Like, uh, watching Virgin. It was actually a good debate between Rob Carney and Matt Williams. But, like, going on about it as if Dave Rennie had, like, them on the cusp of a massive breakthrough as well. Like, I, obviously, Eddie Jones clearly has not done well. Like, they were eliminated for the first time ever in the group stage. But uh, I don't think it would be ridiculous if they actually did keep him on. But he would have to. <laughs> maybe he's in the
1: relationship
2: is done well the relationship with the yeah, media is like, done like
1: it's I think done. I think he could have survived a bad world cup I don't know how you survive the fractious relationship that he had with the media before he left and then like I know look I'm obviously coming at this from the perspective of a journalist but like the way that he dealt with some of those questions I just find unbelievable like the idea that he actually mentioned that sort of what Hooper had said you know to question my commitment Whenever I'm working all the hours of the day, like that's all well and good. But if you had a job interview for a different job before the World Cup, everyone that has any interest in Australian rugby has every right to question your commitment. Yeah. Like yeah, if but there's you're no looking... point. Like, what,
2: sorry, what's this 3 a.m.? Why are you answering emails at 3 a.m.? i like, so committed. That's he's making a so that's so making committed. a point. Sorry, that's making a point. Like that's being silly. Like, get up at six if you're you know, if you're a hard worker or whatever. Like Jamie Dimon, like he runs J like he's up at 5 a.m. Like like what are you 3am that just means you're not sleeping you're not thinking right that explains <laughs> loads of things to me about why we can't ex- we can't of sleep none of us can make head but well, none of us can make head or tail of any of his any of his decisions because he's clearly like has a lack of sleep like i don't know like i just that that thing is thrown around a lot about him um and he clearly doesn't understand people which is the most important part of, of any management managerial role um because he can't keep a staff of some very, very good coaches together in England. And I think he's had some similar issues with Australia and he can't make any coherent decisions around the team. Like how you would go to a world cup and say, and not bring your captain or bring Quay Cooper is absolute insanity. Like absolute insanity. You have to put in some kind of performances. You have to have some guiding hands on the pitch so that you don't have all these young players who come back absolutely traumatized. with not getting out of a group stage. Like that, that that sets you back. It doesn't bring you forward on the path. You can drop the guys after the World Cup and move on. But the World Cup is not about that. I, I just find he is unbelievably entitled. He seems like he doesn't feel like he has to answer to anyone. It's And he has this thing about the work ethic. It's driving me mad. Like, just work properly. Like, you know, work efficiently. Uh, get up early if you want to do the long hours. No problem. But the 3 a.m. emails. You're just a gobshot to me then. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. Like when he was the England coach towards the end, he was talking a lot about how like the Six Nations were almost being sacrificed on the altar of the World Cup in twenty twenty three. This is the first time I've seen like a World Cup sacrificed on the altar of another World Cup to come in in four years' time, which is just you know Carter Gordon. That whole thing has been an absolute fiasco. He's been he's been brutal, but like when he's been selected by Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones is to carry the can as well for for, for that decision.
1: Conversely, and he already made the decision, yeah. Because- he didn't bring Quaid Cooper so the decision's been made you can't go back on the decision now and say oh he's not our fly half anymore like you're at the World Cup you don't have anybody else you left the other guy at home like it's just it's indicative of muddled thinking if you're giving up on somebody that you said was the future a game and a half into the World Cup when you didn't bring the alternative like it makes no sense
0: well conversely Warren Gatlin now has delivered this probably the signature performance arguably or a signature victory of his whole time coaching Wales they're they look, you know, they're in the quarterfinals. They're probably going to be playing Argentina, which would you look like potentially, which would be a very winnable game. All of a sudden, they're into a semi-final on Ireland's side of the draw, which is obviously uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge if we ever come to it. But to be fair, Luke, I got to hear this when like he's a great survivor. Like you know, in the Six Nations, they were brutal. You know, Alan Jones, Tipperidge. All of a sudden, they were off the radar, and yet here they are. They've won all their matches, and all of a sudden, despite the club scene problems and maybe the lack of. Top level talent compared to the previous teams he's coached, like he's gotten them ready for this tournament.
2: Yeah, I know. Like at some point, you've got to say it's not luck. But um, <laughs> I know this one's this one this this run through feels a little lucky. I mean, Eddie Jones getting the Aussie job, you know, that's a godsend. Um, you know, Argentina. In fairness, like I, I would expect them to you know to to pull together a performance in the quarterfinal and beat them, but. Um seems to have timed it well. The one thing I would say about Gatz is that he does seem to be able to get everyone moving in the same direction and he doesn't overcomplicate things. And I think they're very important things at a World Cup. Um and uh he does have a really good nine and ten. That does help as well. Like, you know, there's not going to be any issues with kicking goals and, and and you know, whatever game plan you outline. You have experienced hands there to guide the team around uh it's it's definitely not a vintage Wales group and Welsh rugby we know is in is in a tricky position so it's a very very difficult job for him um to to go and deliver um having said that he's been successful everywhere he's gone he actually has been successful versus the the you know the the Eddie Jones kind of fallacy I think like he he is like Warren Gatland is excellent at his job and has proven to have been for a long period of time I would say that you know you you do hear things I, I think there was a lot of you know, some of the older players leaving at at that time was a bit concerning i think there there was a little bit of rumblings from the camp that they were disappointed with i think how he treated them when the players were were kind of striking um there was a little bit of you know rumblings behind the scenes on that one but that seems to be in the back in the in the back window at this stage and as i said at a world cup he seems to have got everyone that looked like a happy changing room which of course it would be after 40 40 points to 6 pumping but it seemed like a happy changing room Uh, you know some of the footage say Beard getting the 50th cap and singing the song and stuff they they look like a happy group so they'll be dangerous I think and um, I think there's enough quality in there that they won't fear whoever they come up against in the you know it, it, it say it is in
0: Ireland um, if, if Ireland beat Ar- New Zealand and lose to Wales I'm never watching another game of rugby ever again <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign from this podcast I'm just going to go and live in the mountains with no Sky or BT Sport I, uh,
1: yeah, I didn't think about it until you said it but uh, Joe Schmidt in the quarters Warren Gatland in the yeah. semis and then Razzie in the final the content's going to be off the scale
0: Oh God I think that's a good place to end and we're getting far too far ahead of ourselves <laughs> we'll just reflect on a great pill we gained for the moment I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan for joining me this week, we'll be back later in the week with plenty more left-wing podcasts. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on Independent.ie. So until next time, thanks so much for listening, and
1: goodbye. Listen and follow the left wing wherever you get your podcasts.